Good morning. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. I am a, I'm a bad golfer. I mean, I really am. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is, um, this is my tool. Uh, one is, this is so old. Like, this just shows you how bad of a golfer I am. Um, one of the reasons is because I never, I never was really trained. I, I never went to and took any courses, any, any lessons. Um, and, uh, and so, though my dad did his best live on a golf course, which is where you really want to be learning live, you know, uh, to try and help me, um, I just didn't become a good golfer very easily. And secondly, uh, I'm not a good golfer because I never go golfing. And uh, I think that's some of the reason why some of us struggle with prayer. Some of us don't really know exactly what to do with prayer. Uh, we haven't been trained. We, we don't know some of the, uh, the avenues, the, the directions of the heart. And then, and then some of us um, struggle because, because we, never go, we never go on the course. Like we don't find ourselves ever actually praying. And so we don't become better, better prayers. And so one of the things that this series that we're in the midst of, to pray more, um, is supposed to invite us into is both, is both training and practice in what it means to become the kind of people who pray more. Not just the kind of, not just praying more, but to become the kind of people who will pray more. And one of the things I want to try and help us understand uh, about the entirety of the series uh, remains with our golf metaphor. Now, I've asked Clark, who, um, Clark Collins, come on up. Clark, where are you? There you go. He, um, Clark is, come on up, you can stand over here. You're going to need a little bit of room. Clark, you can take this. Clark, um, is our op operations director, one of the best people I know. Um, and so uh, he's also a golfer. Now, he made a disclaimer that he wanted to make sure I told everybody that he's probably the best golfer here. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> that wasn't the disclaimer. That's not the disclaimer you wanted me to make. So he's saying there are far better golfers in the room, but none of which I could compel because they work for me to come up here and do this. <laughs> so Clark is it. Um, but here's the thing with golf, right? The most important thing about golf is not, um, is not your, your shoes, the fancy shoes. It's not even that really fun, like, ball washing thing. Which, can we just be honest, why is that not in more places in the world in other ways? Like, that's just the coolest thing ever. Anyway, so that's not what golf is about. Golf is about the swing, right? You golf by swinging. And, uh, but a swing is not made up of, of one thing. It's actually made up of a whole different set of things that make the swing, the golf. And, uh, and so in, in golf... With my vast expertise and skills, I've learned that golf involves a few things. One, it involves uh, having a, a stance, right? So you have a stance that's, that's, that's uh, about shoulder width apart or something of that nature, right? And then you need to bend your knees. So two would be to bend your knees. But apparently, you don't bend your knees much. I don't know. Um, it, is, it is a five-wood. Maybe that's not a bad golfer. Um, so you, so you got to bend your knees. Then you have to have the special grip. See the special grip that Clark has? That's the special grip. You can't grip it too tight or too loose. Whatever that means. Um, you should never get your instructions on the web, by the way. It just doesn't help you at all. Um, so on top of the grip, then you, the other thing you have to do is you have to take your, your, um, your club back slowly, right? It's not supposed to go fast. It goes back slowly. Keep one arm straight and the other one bent. Um, I'll just keep you up there. This is good. Um, so, and, then, and then when you go through it, now when you swing the club, you're supposed to check it out. Not move your head, Right? You're also supposed to somehow like transition, transition your weight through your hips without turning your upper shoulders. Whatever. This is not a real thing. It's not even a real sport. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I didn't make any Falcons jokes. Give me a break. Okay, here we go. Um, so, so, and then lastly, 
and, and lastly, not, you also, on top, what's the last thing you get to do? Oh, yeah, you're supposed to not muscle through it. You're supposed to let the club do the work. I think that's my favorite thing. I always let the club do the work. It just doesn't go anywhere right. Um, so so that's, those are all the discrete elements of golfing. I don't know about you, but when, when I was taught or attempted to be trained, about halfway through the third thing, I was like, wait, I forgot to bend my knees, and I, I can't seem to get it right, and, and I go fast and slow, and that's, that's what golfing, learning to golf was like for me. But, but when you actually put them all together, you end up with a swing. All right, Clark, show us how it's done. Wow. That was pretty great. Uh, Clark offers lessons on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, but this is, this is how it actually works with, with prayer. Is um, We're building right now, what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a composite picture of what it means to be the kind of people who, who pray well. The kind of people who can integrate all the different elements of prayer in a way that as we practice them, as we, as we swing over and over and over again, simultaneously with all these things, we become the kind of people who aren't thinking so much about the things. They become integrated. It's just a swing. And that, that's the hope. That's the desire. Is as we've been talking through, the first week we talked through what it means to pray more honestly, what it, what it means to come and to be the kind of people who, who show up as we really are, not as we're supposed to be, ought to be, should be, wish we were, but as we really are, that, that our true selves shows up in prayer, that we would pray more honestly. The second week we talked, last week we talked about what it means to pray more truthfully, that we would pray, be the kind of people who pray, pray with our Bibles open on our laps, that we would, we would be responding to God in prayer in light of who he says he is, not in light of how we imagine him to be, but in light of what he says is true about him and about us and about the world. And so we're, we're praying truthfully as in in truth. We're praying to the one who is the truth. And so, so we're praying more truthfully. And we're not just praying honestly sometimes, and then sometimes we pray, pray truthfully. No, no, we pray honestly, and we pray truthfully. And the three, the three coming weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to pray helplessly, what it means to pray more, um, more expectantly, and to, to pray more persistently. Those will be the, the following three weeks. And this morning, we want to look at what it means to pray more humbly. So to keep our golf metaphor, the goal is not to become the people who are like, this morning is my humbly praying day. That's not what we're talking about, is that we would be the kind of people who integrate honesty and truth and humility in the, being the kind of people who pray with those things being true and having practical and tangible tools to do that. So let us become the people who pray more humbly, adding that disposition to our prayer swing, if you will. I didn't start my timer, which is bad news for you. So this morning's text come from uh, Luke chapter 18 and 1 Peter 5. Scriptures are on the screen. You can follow along or you can follow in, in your Bible. This is the word of the Lord coming to you from Luke 18. Now Luke's commentating. He says, and he also, this is Jesus, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other one a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithe on all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven 
but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went home, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. First Peter comments on this saying, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Three weeks ago, um, Steve uh, kind of pinch preached for me, and he, he preached on uh, the picture of Christ's humility. And what he brought up about humility, which is actually going to really help us because we can build on this, is, is that we don't find ourselves becoming humble people primarily by looking at the majesty and the might and the awesomeness and the, and the significance of God, though that is true and it, it does play a role in understanding our humility. That's not where we primarily, how we become humble people. We become humble people by beholding the beauty of the Lord, by beholding the beauty of Christ in particular, and more specifically, by beholding the magnitude of Christ's descent. And he took us through, second, through uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2, and the descent of Christ from the very presence of, of God down to becoming a human being, down to becoming a servant, and then all the way to becoming obedient to death, death on a cross. And we get to see as we, as we gaze on Christ, we become humbled we begin to wonder at God's self, at Christ's self-imposed humiliation and death, and it changes us as we see him taking in our stead what we deserved. And so this morning, we're going to build on that idea that, that we must behold Christ if we're going to be the kind of people who will, who will pray more, more humbly. I want you to notice, though, in the first Peter 5 passage that there is a progression. Do you see the progression? Talks about humility, right? Peter says, clothe yourself with humility. He says, humble yourself. Choose to do so. Choose to humble yourself. Step down. That's the purposeful, intentional lowering of ourselves. The very thing that makes it possible for God to do what? Humble yourselves that he will lift you up. The, the very humbling of our spirits, the very, the very bringing of ourselves with a humble heart gives God permission, freedom, opportunity to raise us up. And, and beyond that, not just to raise us up, but to begin to give us the very things that our hearts are honestly longing for, to, to meet us in those anxieties, those cares, those uncertainties, those fears that are actually all over us. And it says that he cares in there. So there's an order. I humble myself and then God lifts me up and he, he gives the opportunity for me to receive his care in the midst of the uncertainty and anxiety, which apparently are a given in life, according to the scriptures. We know that and God knows that. But I must say, nothing will thwart your prayers. Nothing will block our experience of the presence of God, our ability to, to hear God in the scriptures, to be able to, to experience him through his spirit, in our spirit or in the scriptures Nothing will choke our prayers, our awe, our, our praise, our, our confession, our thanksgiving, like a prideful disposition, a proud heart. There's no doubt that, that if we pretend, 
a pretense, pretense and like a pseudo honesty with God will have a tangible impact on the way in which God meets you and you relate to him, the way you know him. There's no doubt about that, but, but it, won't completely, it won't completely remove all things. It won't be fatal. And even a, a partial misunderstanding of the reality of who God is, which we all have certain partial misunderstandings of the reality of who God is, even as we experience the scripture, th- though it can actually be really challenging and really make a mess, it, it is something that we can be overcome and that God can teach us in. It's not hopelessly derailing to our prayers, but a prideful disposition, a proud heart will not allow you to pray. Not really. And the reason is, we see it right here. God opposes you. Now, I just want to take a minute and let the words kind of take their weight, take their full effect. Listen to this. God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. What this means is that God is actively against, he is actively working to thwart the proud. He's not dismissive or indifferent or like, okay, just do that over there. He's not ignoring the proud. No, he's positioned himself against the proud. The the best picture I can think of this is um, when our son Nathan was two years old, I used to try, I I was in the Air Force, and so I'd deploy for long seasons of time, and when I would go, Nathan in particular had a really rough time, both the kids did, but Nathan had a really tough time, he would become this little monster, and so um, we had, uh, in our house, we had a one-hour play-by-yourself rule in each bedroom, and so Haley and Nathan would go into their bedrooms, and we'd put a little gate in there, a little little doggy gate, and kind of give them a, you know, boundary, this is where you don't go past. Well, there's a particular day I was gone, it had been a few weeks, and uh, Nathan decided that he was not going to be in play alone time. He was going to be wherever he wanted to be. So he climbed over the, the gate and Becky comes around and is like, what are you doing out here? And he's like, I don't want to play in my room. I understand that. It's not a democracy. Back in your room you go. Please don't get out of your room. This gate is your line. As she stands there, Nathan says, mom, I understand what you're saying and I appreciate the clarity. I will stay here. No, no, no. <laughs> As she's watching, he's like, watch this and climbs over the gate. And he's two, you know? So kids are innocent and sweet. And so as she's watching, so she's like, okay, this is no longer like childish behavior. This is willful disobedience in the two very distinct categories. And so she takes him back into his bedroom, has an opportunity for discipline. And then as she comes back out, she's like, we're staying in the room for the whole time. And though he has tears in his eyes, he's not done. Back he comes, over the gate he comes. And so she's like, okay, back in the room she goes. And now we have a third gate. That second, so she grabs the second gate. So one gate goes to here. And so she puts a second gate up on the door frame. And Nathan says, my, that, that clarifies. No, no. (laughs) Proud little soul that he is. Starts climbing, climbs one, gets about two thirds of the way up the second one. And he realizes he's about four feet off the ground and he's too scared to go over. And so not giving up, he hangs there and screams for 30 minutes. <clears throat> if you don't have children yet, that's when. <laughs> Becky was opposing him. He was not going to get his way. She was bigger, she had all the tools. 
And what that meant by him, his pride was, I will get my way. I, I will demand life to be a certain way and it will manifest itself and I will make it happen. God opposes the proud. He puts gates on your doors. He is committed to thwart every area of pride in our life. And when we're having it in relationship with him, it removes the opportunity for us to have engagement with him because he's against it. So what's the opposite of, of praying more humbly? Well, it's praying more proudly. You see that in the parable. You see that the, the Pharisee, and, and, he, and Luke's kind, he gives us a, a precursor. In case you're wondering what this parable is about, he says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Oh, and because they trusted in themselves that they were righteous, it manifested in the fact that they did what to other people? Oh, yeah, they treated others with contempt. So if you're curious about whether or not you're prideful, it'll manifest first in how you treat other people with contempt. That's going to be the most obvious things. But internally, it'll be that they trusted in themselves, that they were more righteous. And you can see it in, you can hear it in his words, in the words of the Pharisee. He says, he stands there, he says on his own, he stands there on his own, he says, God, I thank you that I am. I mean, that's basically the synthesis of his entire, I just want to say thank you that I am better. I am more righteous I, I have it more together. I, I, have so, you're, I know you're grateful that I'm part of your team. I, I just want to say thank you, God, that I am something, that I, have, that I, have, I bring something. I, I don't really need you. I, I, I make sure that I provide all that, that I need. The person who comes before God and claims his own merit, does not pray, but demands what is due to him. If I ask someone to pay me a debt, pay me back a debt, I'm not, I'm not a, um, an unworthy petitioner. Now, I'm, I'm a plaintiff bringing a complaint. I want my rights. You owe me. When I pray with my merit in my hands, I'm not offering a request I'm leveraging a demand. And that's what we see in, in this Pharisee, this, this proud-hearted, I'm somebody. And Jesus will develop that with the older brother and, and the response of the older brother who says, so I've been good all along. How come I'm not getting my things? How come my, my goodness and my obedience towards you isn't leveraging favor? I was supposed to get your blessings by being good, and now I'm not, and I'm angry about it. Merit says, pay me what you owe me. And the, and the sad reality is that when we relate to God out of pride, when we come with our things, our merit, our, our reputation, our, our goodness, our self-righteousness, our, you know, uh, th my favorite is when, when we find ourselves um, self-righteous about how self-righteous other people are. That's my favorite. That's our church favorite. Uh, you know, it's like, well, I'm just, thank God, thank you so much that I'm not like those self-righteous people. It, it's, it, 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 we do it because, because we know self-righteousness is terrible and ridiculous and no one wants to be that guy. 
And so we become self-righteous about self-righteousness. Pay me what you owe me. And we get little of the Father. We get little of his presence, of his person. God opposes the proud. And I just want to say, to, to guard your hearts, even as you hear this, to go like, man, I know some proud people. That pride is insidious. It, it weaves its way into all kinds and all forms. Lord God, thank you that I am, that I am reformed and not like those fools over there. Or that, that, thank you, Lord, that I, that I have the, these particular proclivities that I can serve you in the way that these, these idiots clearly cannot. That hidden stuff that, that manifests itself usually in a, in a very kind, casual, is deeply embedded in an undercurrent, undercurrent of, of our flesh. It's, uh, it echoes the whispers of, of the evil one. And it's, it's a cultural system that's so, it's the air we breathe. We don't even hear it or, or see it. We're steeped in this um, social economic meritocracy, the, this idea that, that what I have is mine, that that I've earned it and, and, and therefore I get to have my way with it and with, with everything else. I have my rights. This is the country and the place where, where you can be all you can be. Go army. And of course, just do it. And we're encouraged to be self-made people. That's, that's the foundation. We're, you're supposed to be a self-made person. And the more you self-make yourself, the more you will get acclaimed, the more you'll have something to offer, the more merit you'll have to present to everyone, but more significantly, the more merit you'll have to present to God. Because by the way, that's the currency of our world. And we believe it and we buy it, and so we come to God with that very same construct. And don't get me wrong, hard, hard work is a, is a true virtue. Industry and endurance, creativity and faithfulness, they, they, contain their own, they contain their own giftings and reward as a measure of their virtue. Yeah, when we come to God, we come to our Lord, we come to our Father, we don't come with our merits in our hands. When we do, we ignore the fact that we are not self-made people, that we have been people who are, have been, and will continue to be unmade people who have to be remade over and over again. You must be remade, not self-made. Charles Spurgeon says, um, my Puritan quote for you, Steve Heimler. He says it really well. He says, now, whenever you go to pray, if you have previously been compelled to say some rather strong thing as to how your own integrity and industry, or if you've heard others speak of your praise, forget it all. For you cannot pray if it has any effect upon you. A man cannot pray with a good opinion of himself all he can manage is just to mutter, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. And that is not to pray at all. A lofty view of our own excellence will tempt you to look down with contempt upon your neighbor. And that is the death, is death to prayer. So how do you know that you're praying proudly? There's a few things that are going to come out of your mouth or they're just going to come out of your, your soul. One of them is, it's not fair. It's not fair. 
in light of all that I've chosen to do, all the things I've chosen not to do, it is not fair that these circumstances, that the events that are transpiring in my life, that, that I don't seem to have greater refuge from the pain and suffering, it's not fair. This is not working the way it should. There should be some kind of give and take based on how I've chosen to live. I, I, don't you understand? I, I, I tithe on everything I have. I, I fast twice a week, not just once, twice a week. Come on. Shouldn't there be something? This isn't fair. My performance should earn me a better lot, a more favorable outcome, a reprieve of some sort. That's how we know we're praying proudly. We also know because in our prayers, we find ourselves praying like the Pharisees, saying, well, well, at least, at least I'm coming to you with this and not like, like those other people. Which means that we can't actually pray and will the good of, of anyone that opposes us, certainly not an enemy and anyone that would go against us or, or anyone that doesn't seem to deserve the good that they're getting or, or, the, or the reprieve that they have from pain or the, or the particular growth or change that's happening in them. They didn't, they didn't seem to earn it. They haven't worked as hard as I have. And so I certainly would intercede for them. We know that we're praying proudly. When we declare to God that if he doesn't come through in this particular way, then we're done. This is not worth it. I'm going to come up with a different way and a different system. At least I'd have control over that one. So, so God, here it is. Here's the line in the sand. If you don't, if you don't come through, if you don't remove this, then we're done. We're done. Oh, I mean, I'll, I'll still be a good person. I'll, I'll, do my, I'll do my chores and I'll, I may even come to church and I'll smile, but like I'm actually out. You and I, we're done. That's what it looks like. That's what it sounds like to pray proudly. And we don't usually do it um, in real obvious manners. It's these quiet internal commitments, actually these quiet internal demands. And sometimes instead of telling them to God, we just tell them to each other. But, but they're there. They're deeply embedded and they say, God, you owe me. And some of us may realize and say, you know what, that's not at all. I don't see that at all. I must not be proud. I must not move, ever move towards God with a prideful heart. Because I, I actually just feel like I, I'm just so bad and so broken and I don't seem to be able to accomplish anything. And so I'm pretty much sure that God barely is happy with me about anything. And, and which is, of course, just another side of pride. Yeah, the idea that I'm, I'm such a worm that I, I have nothing to offer. And I'm, not even, I'm not even able to receive anything from God. And so I revel in my commitment to worthlessness as an identity. And I find a home there. I don't receive from God. I'm, I'm a spiritual Eeyore. Oh, brother. If I was better, if I was more like, well, that guy, or if I was more like what God you had for me, then of course you would bless me, but I'm not. And so, of course, you're not. So here I am. So that's praying proudly. So what does it mean to pray more humbly? 
Well, I think the, uh, the short way of thinking about praying more humbly is two sets of four words. Have mercy on me and your will be done. Have mercy on me and, and your will be done. H- have mercy on me. I, it's what, the, it's what the, the publican says, the tax collector, the guy who knew that he had nothing to offer, the one who wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven because he's like, I, I know where I am. And, but even though he knows where he is, where is he going? He's going to God saying, I, I believe that the only hope I have is that you would actually demonstrate mercy to me. I, I'm in need of mercy that I know. I put myself in a place that I may receive mercy. Have mercy on me. I want to present myself to God as one who is in need of mercy and not just in need of mercy, but who recognizes that all that has ever come to me, all that's ever happened, all that I've ever received has come from him. It's been received from him. Someone pointed out that um, every time someone asked Dave Ramsey on his radio show, what, um, how you doing, Dave? Do you guys know the answers? Better than I deserve, which I know it's the radio show. I know it's a thing. But what a good answer that is. Have mercy on me. Uh, Better than I deserve. Ran across this illustration in the scriptures this week as I was looking through the different kinds of prayers that manifest themselves. And we have this moment in Genesis chapter 32 where um, Jacob, who is, you know, the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham, uh, Jacob has, has had to flee his family, and he's gone to his uncle Laban, and uh, he was kind of like the favorite of his mom. He tricked his brother and got the birthright, then he tricked his brother again and, and got the blessing, so Jacob is a trickster. Um, and J- Jacob, the trickster, leaves because his brother wants to kill him. His mom says, you should go. And so he spends 20 years with his uncle, a little more than 20 years with his uncle Laban, far away from his, his home. And, and of course, if you know the story, it's one of those stories you're like, wow, you wrote this in the Bible. You know what I mean? It's just, it's wild, crazy stuff, you know, trickery about he ends up marrying the, the sister instead of the sister he thought he was marrying and wakes up and in the morning it was Leah. One of those Bible verses you're like, what? Um, <laughs> so he ends up with Leah and Rachel and they start having children and he ends up going and he ends up getting all this prosperity and these flocks and, and God blesses him. And, and of course, Laban's trying to trick him the whole time and just some irony there and and so all this time comes and he prospers so much that he becomes trouble for Laban and, and Laban and his men start saying, this is not okay. And so uh, it says that the Lord came to, to Jacob and it said, return to the land, the Lord said, of your fathers and of your kindred, and I will be with you. And so Jacob takes off. There's a whole incident with his uncle trying to catch up with him and all that stuff. But, but he comes to the Jordan River, which is the place where he had crossed over and, and God had, had met him. And uh, he's about to head back home. The last thing he knew was that his brother wanted to kill him. And he's wondering if 20 years later that has, you know, lessened or if that's still true. So he sends his delegation up ahead of him to go and, and, and kind of meet up with Esau. And, and they come back and inform him that Esau is heading his way with 400 men. Now, in Bible terms, for those of you who are familiar with the Hebrew, um, that's bad news. 400 men is, is, is enough. Let's just say that. It's, it's enough to kill them all. And so he's got two wives and all these kids and all these herds and some servants. And, and he's heading that way. And this is where he finds himself beginning to pray. And what's amazing, this is amazing, is in three verses, we have the three elements we've been talking about back to back to back. But it starts with humility. Jacob says in verse 10 of chapter 32, he says, Lord, I am not worthy 
of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with my own, for with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. Jacob finds himself with these circumstances and they're bad circumstances. It's been all this blessing, these bad circumstances. And he finds himself not going like, Lord, do you not see all the herds and the flocks? You don't want to see all those things destroyed. I've worked hard for all these things. No, it's not at all. He goes, he says, he positions himself before God by saying, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy. And it's not like I didn't, I didn't used to be worthy, but, but like, have you seen? Like, I'm more worthy now. No, no, it's present tense. I am not worthy right now. I came from nothing and everything that I have, everything that I am has come from you. And Jacob had worked hard. And so he begins by just dropping to his knees and saying, Lord, I, everything I am and everything I've ever had has been because of your grace towards me. And I'm not worthy of, I'm not worthy of any of what you've given me. And that, that's the place I'm putting myself as I begin to relate to you. And, and then he honestly pours himself out before God. Verse 11, he says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from from the hand of Esau, just in case God wasn't sure which one of us is the only brother, but from the hand of Esau, just so I'm clear on my prayer. And somebody says, for I fear him. Cast your anxieties. That's real, real fear. I fear him. And I fear him very specifically. That he's going to come, that he's going to attack me, that he's going to kill my wives, and he's going to kill my children. All the story that I thought was being written about our lives, the promises, the I think they're all going to about to go away, and I'm afraid. So God, would you please deliver me? He's honest. He's not like so above this. Esau doesn't know what's coming to him. Like there's none of that. That doesn't, he's honest with his fear, with the reality of where he's at. And then verse 12, he prays truthfully. But you said, Jacob says to God, I will surely do you good. And make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And Jacob's saying, I'm, I'm holding to your word. You said that this was going to be true about me. I'm going to hold and hang on to the promises you've made to me. I'm going to cling to the things that you've said. And I'm going to, and I want to continue to move and to pray in light of what you've already declared. See, we pray humbly because it reflects the reality of how things really are. We must have his mercy on our behalf. We, we must have his mercy. Have mercy on me. God is God and I am not. And honestly, most of who, what I am and most of what you are is not born out of what you've accomplished or what you've done, though you've done much. You didn't get to choose where you were born, your nationality, how smart you are, the parents that God gave you, your family of origin, the opportunities, or even the, the century that we're in. You didn't choose any of those things. You can't keep the world from spinning. You can't affect the weather. The, the good news is you're not God. There is a God, and it's not you. And the invitation of humility is, is, is to recognize that and to say, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. It's the prayer of, of the humble heart, and, and your will be done. You're God, and I'm not. Therefore, I will submit myself your will be done. 
In First Peter, it said, humble yourself, just not in general, not in some ethereal concept, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Like there is a place under which you can humble yourself rightly and it fits and it works. There is someone whose will we want to be submissive to and that we can be submissive to for our good because there is only one of two options, right? Either God knows what's best or you know what's best. Either he's the center of all things or you're the center of all things. There's not two options. There's, I mean, there's not two ways. There's only one option or the other. It can't, be, it can't be a part. Therefore, when we pray humbly, we pray, I want to want what you want. Your will be done. I want to want what you want more than, than what I even want most in this moment. William Barclay said, it is so often happens that in prayer, we are really saying, thy will be changed when we ought to be saying, thy will be done. There's a couple ways in which I think I can want to invite us into practicing prayer, that some, of the, some of the elements of the swing as we pray more humbly. And one of those things I want to invite you into is, is, is to add into some of the ways in which you pray how you, how you use your body. One of the very tangible ways in which you can pray and grow in humility and, and bringing the reality of have mercy on me and thy will be done is, is with your hands. You're sitting in your chair, you're at Starbucks, I don't care where you are. So take your hands and to, to bring them empty because they are empty. You don't come with merit and so you pray and you, and you, you tell God, I come with nothing. I, I have empty hands. My merit is nothing before you. So I must only be one who receives. Have mercy on me. Would you, would you fill my hands with what you want? Your will be done. My hands are empty and they're open. You put in there what you want to put in there. Your will be done. And lastly, is get on the floor. I'm not saying every time you pray. But if you've never found yourself kneeling or getting down on the ground, there is something about taking your very body posture and having it match what you're trying to see God bring about in you. Believe it or not, it's almost like they're connected. Like your body is connected to your heart and to your mind. And as you find yourself on the ground with your face on the floor and starting to ask God, God, I want your way. I mean, I want my way. I'm not going to pretend like I, don't. I do want my way, but, but I want your way more. Will you help me want more your way? And I, I'm going all the way down. I'm going as low as I can physically, and I'm trying to have that match what I want to do in my own heart. Can I, I want to get low. I want to believe that your good is going to be for your glory and my good. And so, so your way is going to be the, the best way. And, and though I think I have a way, I want, I want your way more than my way. And so I'm going to get low, and I'm going to put my face on the ground. If you're having a hard time feeling a distance from God, like, like how come he's not coming through for me, lower yourself and, and try it with your body. Open your hands. The second thing is what I call the, um, the not my but your prayer. This is one of those things that I, I do. Um, it's basically an active transfer of all the things that I have from me to God, from, from, from my hands to, to his hands. And so it looks like, God, this is not my money. This is your money. This is, this is not my house. This is your house. Lord, this, this is not my marriage. This is your marriage. Those are not my kids. They're your kids. Lord, this is not my job. This is not my career. This is your job and your career. 
This is not my future, not my plans. This is not my retirement. This is your plans, your future, your retirement. It's yours, not, not mine. It's yours. It's not my will. It's your will. It's, it's not even my life. It's your life. This, this transferring over, this handing over with the heart and the mind to God, praying humbly that, that our minds would, and hearts would follow. It works great if you're on your knees or on your face doing that too. One of the beautiful things I'm getting to, to get a front row seat to, seat to um, is getting to, to watch uh, Amy Zimmerman die. And um, the, the last eight months have obviously been a process as she's found out she had cancer, recurrence cancer, as, as many of you know. And um, to watch her live out these, these realities, these elements of the swing of prayer and relating to God and talking to us, Becky and I, about how she's relating to God and, and the, the honesty of how mad she was. I was just angry, like, how is this happening to me again? I know this road, and it's bad. This, um, the question of, like, how, God, how can you be asking me to do this again? How can you be asking me to do this? And, and the, just the pouring out of the longing the, of wanting to, see, wanting to see her kids get married and wanting to see, wanting to hold her own grandbabies and, and just the raw honesty of this is not the way I want it to be. And not pretending, not being like, well, the pious person should. Not, not writing... Uh, false blogs so that the people who experienced her first time through would be as impressed with the second time through. Realizing that those are two different stories manifesting themselves in two different times and, and watching her wrestle with God on that. And then watching her work her way into, back into the truth of what God has said about her, what's, what's ultimately true for her, what's true for her kids and her longings for them long term, what Speaking her heart back to joy in the midst of not joy, in the midst of just a lot of pain, days and weeks of pain. And I think what's been, what's been awesome is that there's been, it's been like a work. It's been this striving, this working, this laboring, this struggling, and, um, and, and done with, with this only like Amy can do with a certain kind of smile and a little sass. Um, but what's been really amazing to see in the last, last couple of days here has been... Um, the movement of, of a heart that says, your will be done. Like I, you can have my life, Lord. Like you can have my health, like, and you can have my future. And, and I'm going to trust you with my husband, who I don't know how he's going to deal with me not being here, and I'm going to trust you with my kids. And, um, but this, your will be done. And have, have mercy on me as I do this. And, and, and the peace, not the anger, not the, no bitterness, no, just, just peace. And it's well. It's well with her soul. See her hand over to declare fundamentally, your will be done with my life and with my death. And it's beautiful. Like it is beautiful. Like it, it radiates off. And of course, you know, we die the way we live, right? We die the way we live. That wasn't created in the last bit here. That was, that was fostered by being the kind of person who swings and swings and swings and swings when it's hard and swings when it's good and swings when it's challenging and when it's easy. And, 
and finds themselves relating to God in light of who she is, in light of who he is, in light of what's true and humbly. And Amy's just, a, she's just an echo. She's, 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 a, she's just an example. She's the manifestation of the spirit of the one who more than any, in, in, in ways insurmountably un, impossible to understand said, your will be done when it costs everything. The ultimate, your will be done. Declared by Christ in the garden. He's saying, there's this cup. And I would like it to pass. But not my life. Your life. Not my will, not my way, your way. I belong to you. And so your ways are going to be better than my ways. And the human heart of Jesus is saying, I don't want to go through this. But the will of the Father, what did God will? He willed the death of Christ. It wasn't an accident. Then just find himself there. He willed the death of the Son, and the Son submitted to the death for joy. That's what's supposed to help our hearts move down into a place of humility. It gives us, it gives us the freedom gives us the energy, energy, it gives us grace. Peter says, God opposes the proud. Don't be in a place where God is opposing you. But, but, loved ones, gives grace to the humble. Like, man, that's the good news. You know what you need? You need grace. You need mercy. But you need grace. And God, to the people who say, I'm going to be on my knees physically or figuratively, I'm going to be under, I'm going to say, not my way, even though everything seems like a better way when I come up with it, but your way. When I put myself under there, I receive grace. And you need grace. And if you're proud, you will not have grace. And you will never finish well, and you will not die with humility and beauty. You will not have peace. You need grace. I need grace. I want to die well. I want to, I want to be an echo to my Savior in the garden. Don't, do you? That's what I want to be true about me. That's what I believe God longs for for all of his people, that they would receive grace. And this is, this is the table of grace. We come here every single week proclaiming not our own merit, not our own achievements, not our own goodness or righteousness, but the goodness of Christ. That he is our righteousness, he's our justification, that he's actually our life. And that having purchased us, we get to now give our life away. So, as you come today to receive the elements, you're coming in a micro-reenactment of your will be done. You're coming to receive grace, which you, you need it. So, so I invite you to come confessing, confessing honestly the ways in which you bring your goodness, your greatness, your whatever to God, and instead putting it down and, and receiving from him what, what he would give you. Would, you. would you confess your way, the way you demand, the way you're requiring God to be, Instead, would you, in faith, trusting that he is good as your good, your will.
Your will be done. I'm going to pray a prayer from Thomas uh, Brooks. It's a little bit of a rewrite. Um, He's an English preacher. So it'll be on the screen. So you can either pray by listening or pray by by reading. And then I'm going to invite you to this table of grace. Let's pray. Lord, here am I. Do with me what you please. Write upon me as you please. I give up myself to be at your disposal. The ambitious man gives himself up to his own honor, but I give up myself unto you. Man gives himself up to his pleasures, but I give up myself to you. Man gives himself up to his idols, but I give myself to you. Lord, lay what burdens you will upon me. Only let your everlasting arms be under me. I am laid down in your will. I am learning to say amen to your amen. You have a greater interest in me than I have in myself, and therefore I give up myself unto you. And I am willing to be at your disposal and I'm ready to receive what impression you will stamp upon me. O oh, blessed Lord, have you not again and again said to me, I am yours, O oh soul, to save you. My mercy is yours to pardon you. My blood is yours to cleanse you. My merit is yours to justify you. My righteousness is yours to clothe you. My spirit is yours to lead you. My grace is yours to enrich you. And my glory is yours to reward you. And therefore, I cannot but make a resignation of myself unto you. Lord, here I am. Do with me as seems good in your own eyes. I know the best way is to resign myself to your will and to say amen to your amen in Christ. Amen. If you belong to Jesus, this is a meal of grace for you. Come, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up in due time. Come and receive.